Are we in focus? There we go. All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this Madre podcast number two. Jesus here. Um, are you ready? I'm not ready because I'm really busy. I'm trying to get uh, things done here in the office because I'm leaving for Vegas to celebrate my five-year wedding anniversary with Larissa tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun, but that means I have to get everything done tonight. So three quick ways to support Desmadre, our efforts with this podcast, El Mundo, and other things that we do. Uh, number one is Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Desmadre. Chip in a dollar, three dollars, whatever you want helps keep things running here and it keeps you more intimately engaged with our projects because you get insider access there. Second way to support, FanDuel. If you join FanDuel.com, Fantasy Weekly Sports League, it's a lot of fun. If you like sports, you might as well join. Join, put $10 in, use promo code DESMADRE, and we will send you a free t-shirt. Very easy. Uh, But some people don't want to deal with that crap. So if you just want a t-shirt and you want to support us, go to desmadre.com forward slash store, buy a t-shirt or a cap or some playing cards or some other random shit that we might sell. Sorry for the lied call. There's a garage door here. It is the noisiest kind of door you could ever have. A big chunk of aluminum, basically. Sorry. Now my camera's falling. This is a piece of shit. Anyway, thank you for watching Desmadre podcast number two. This week we have Yutikio Tik Chapa, who is program manager of Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Institute program. There's a lot of names, I don't know, but he's doing awesome work for Latino-owned businesses in the U.S. at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. But he's a really young dude, and it's a lot of fun, fun conversation. Enjoy. Let's start now. All right, what's up, motherfuckers? This mother people. See, it's a very professional podcast. <laughs> starting <laughs> starting off right. On a Sunday. On a Sunday. God's day. The holy day yep. of rest. There's no rest for the wicked, yes. including today's guest, Teek Yutikio Chapa, who is uh, a uh, phenomenal person that I met. Actually, the first time I met you yeah. was probably on your graduation day. Um, 2010? Yeah. Yeah, so I used to photograph uh, the the Chicano grad for El Centro Chicano at Stanford University, and I was taking pictures uh, of the graduates that day, so I took some pictures of you and your homies and stuff, and the first thing I remember, and I think the first thing most people remember about Teak is that he's always smiling. <laughs> he's just a smiley dude. Most of the time. Most of the time. But it's like a sneaky bastard smile. <laughs> so you're like, I don't know if I could trust this smile. I don't know if I could trust I've heard this. that too. You've heard I've that heard too, that right? Too. But yeah, so that was the first time I met Teak. And then the second uh, really time was a year ago when we really um, uh, got to know you a little better uh, because this mother participated in the uh, Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Program. And you are, what is your exact position there? And tell us a little bit about the group. So we have the Stanford Latino Entrepreneur Leaders Program. And the guys here were part of the first cohort. So for us, um, we're excited to have a Stanford program that helps Latino business owners grow their business. So twice a year, 80 business owners come. They take classes. Some like these guys sit in the back and maybe fall asleep. Um, (laughs) But most folks are are, are attentive and wide-eyed. Um, the biggest and most powerful thing I've seen is when our Latino business owners meet each other and connect, share best practices. We have people coming from over 30 states. 
um, in any type of industry, whatever industry, business service you can think of. Um, we have a Latino who's been a part of the program, um, who's building a, a big business there. So it's been exciting to see the program grow. Um, it was great to have you guys part of it, the first one, and we, we get better each time and hopefully more helpful uh, each cohort we deliver. Cool. Well, we'll take a step back and um, talk about you a little bit. Um, you're from King City, right? King City, not too far south, about 120 miles um, from the Bay Area. I grew up, I have a twin brother, Nicolás, um, and it's, he's, you know, I'm my brother's keeper. It's more like he's my keeper. Uh, takes care of me. I'll never forget growing up in sixth grade, I had a rolly backpack and I thought it was the Dude, coolest thing ever. You really had I a rolly? It was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> you had a rolly? They were popular for a they while. They were popular. Like, yeah. I, I think so. Just a blink of an eye. Yeah. But like we, Heelys, like the they Heelys were, yeah, around that same time. And they were great. And I was like the only one at the school that had a rolly backpack, roller backpack. And uh, I'll never forget it because we were reading uh, Lord of the Rings, I think. And I said, God, I want to be able to carry them all the time. And my brother, we're both uh, nerdy as can be in some ways. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, people are are running into my rolly backpack. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's happening. Uh, and my brother says, no, they're kicking it, man. <laughs> they're making fun of you about it. So then one day, um, nobody was messing with my, my backpack anymore. Um, I thought it was just a coincidence. Maybe it got cool. Um, but my brother, I later found out, had practiced uh, some of his tackling skills. And now he's a football, high school football coach. But he had practiced some of his tackling skills on people who maybe were accidentally messing with my roller backpack. So he, he takes care of me, and, and he works in tech now. But um, twin brother, and uh, I'm glad that's the only sibling I have. But our folks, uh, the joke is that we're all that our parents could feed. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's up here in the Bay, and so it's nice to have the family support here. So tell us about your parents. Where are your parents from? What did your parents do? I know a little bit about your dad, but maybe you can tell us about, um, you know, are, are you first generation, second generation? What's the... Yeah. So, um, you know, I always say my parents fought like hell so I could have, and my me and my twin have a lot of opportunity. Um, my Thea's joked that we were selling beer at our parents' store before we could drink it, uh, which is not true, by the way. Um, but... Parents as, as business owners and my mom really drove our, our education. She was a lifelong learner. Um, neither of my parents got um, uh, for a university degree, but education was always important to them. Um, and so for us to, you know, kind of uh, with their support, their focus, you know, have the chance to, to do the things we're doing now is, is just unbelievable. So they work hard. Uh, my dad said once he, he went to the school of hard knocks. Um, so he's shared some of those lessons and, you know, trying to keep doing right by them and by, by King City and the good people there. So your dad had a convenience store. Is that the... Yeah, yeah. since um, since before we were born, he's ran convenience stores or liquor stores. And my mom always um, often at his, at his right-hand side. Um, we would work in the summers and... I wasn't very good on the register, and I wasn't that great at cleaning the pumps or making coffee, so I wasn't really uh, the best worker. Um, and I tried to show up on time since the boss would bring me into the office, uh, aka my dad. Um, but you know, learn just simple things: respect everybody, say hello to people, um, you know, do your job, <laughs> uh, which is not easy for everybody to do, and even for myself sometimes. But you know, working there, talking to folks. Um, being able to talk to anybody is important, 
um, and just learning from my dad to respect people, do right by them, um, and things should work out. Do you, do you remember any of the challenges that your dad faced as a business owner back then, yeah. or your family made a faced as yeah. business owners? Yeah, I think I always think about for the businesses, both in our Stanford program and for my family, kind of the way the business goes. That's how the family goes, you know. In, in our town, where where agriculture and farming is really the only business or the biggest one, uh, in the winter things slow down. People, as they say, they follow the crops, and so when business really slows down in the winter, that means for my dad's stores. Um, or his store, people have to get let go and he has to cover more shifts. And so we think about for all our Latino business owners, when things get tough and they, they get tight, uh, which is sometimes or oftentimes the case, especially for the, the smaller businesses, um, but really learn that it, it doesn't make sense to put everything on your back as a business owner. You know, you have to figure out how do you use the team that you have? How do you use the managers? Or how do you train people to help manage? Um, it's just too tough for a year, let alone 30 years, to put a whole business on your back. And so um, learned a lot from, from him, both the lessons he shared and my mom has shared, and, and just watching and seeing, hey, if, if a business relies on you working 10, 12-hour days, it's going to be hard to do that forever. So. My wife tells me that all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she says, come home. Yeah. She's like, really? Yeah. Again? Yeah. Yeah, and the weekends are tough too, and so always trying to figure out how do you how do we help you know in the program and even with the family how do you help people build things where where they can live and not just work you know how do you build a um, not just a living but a life and trying to help people do that. Yeah, yeah. My dad um, always basically had two jobs, which is sadly kind of what I'm living right now in many ways, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're both like therapy like, session. Yeah. Right? Hey, Take, I hold you. I, give me your hand, buddy. Give me your hand. There's yeah, a couch pretty, over here. Yeah, so. yeah. But but it's true. I mean, I think like you you have this like masochistic tendency to kind of take it all on your own shoulders and to not be as efficient about it and to uh, you know to not let it fail when maybe sometimes it needs to fail or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 it's to the detriment of at the end of the day of the quality of your life which is supposedly what you're doing all this work for i mean you know my dad was literally like never home you know he was working like non-stop and um and this is a common i think uh just a common theme that it certainly reoccurs in my if you want to call it work when i'm writing or when i'm like thinking about like the experience uh, that we have is uh this culture of work uh, because most of the people who come over here, most of the immigrants, whether they're Mexican or Asian or whatever, you know, they're just here chingandole, you know, and they're like, fuck it. Like, and they're hoping, obviously, that their kids do better. But I also think there can be a tendency, uh, even for people who've, who are second, first generation or second generation, to continue in the same yeah. patterns, yeah. you know. Um, and it's... Yeah, it's it was that was one of the things that was really refreshing about this the the program was was kind of taking a step back and really being forced to look at things objectively yeah. and really like well, once you start looking at the amount of hours you're spending doing things and blah blah blah. Yeah, hit record on that again. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it certainly um, it, it's challenging, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back. We'll, we'll get into the business stuff again. Um, you said your mom was really focused on your education. 
Um, how did you go from King City? What was your high school like? And how did you end up at Stanford? Was there somebody who made a difference? Or how did you hear about it? And how did you, what was your journey to Stanford? Yep. I think um, we're from in King City. There's just a whole lot of community support. You know, people look out for each other's kids or everyone's playing down the street. And when the sun goes down, you know, um, it's time for dinner. And it's funny. We've, we felt so much support in town from parents and families, hardworking families that, um, you know, people don't see that side of a lot of small towns. Uh, and we have our challenges just like anywhere else. But for a high school, so King City High, we went until the end of our sophomore year. And those were teachers that had taught my parents. Um, those were kids and friends whose families had been in our town for, for generations. And there's just so much support there. Um, one thing that we had too is I always had my brother. So if he got 95 on a test, I would try to get 96. Um, so we could always push each other regardless of what was happening around us. I usually beat him. Uh, if you ask me, uh, he usually beat me if you ask him on a test or what have you, or in sports too. Um, the only B plus I think he got was because I don't tell my freshman year teacher in English, but I checked his assignment and I forgot to bring it back in and he ended up getting a B plus in one of his English classes. Um, so sorry for that, Nick. Um, but for us, we had family support, community support. I had my twin to push me. And then um, our last two years of high school, went to a school in Salinas, a private school called Palma High School. Um, and it was something that really changed the way that I think and live. We had a teacher named Mrs. Lyon, uh, who was a great English teacher. And I think for me, just anytime you can put high expectations on yourself and maybe that's just within your family maybe that's you have a small crew of nerds or, or people that you work with that you trust um, but for us kind of wherever we went we had like a little kind of circle of people of of people that would push us uh, push me and then Stanford was just life-changing uh, I had never seen that many people different types of people friends um, that much food. I tell people when you get to college, it's a buffet every day. Is my joke, and I know that's not always the case. I, I, by the way, I saw your post the other day lamenting the fact that. <laughs> so Teak works at Stanford, and I guess he eats at the business school, and um, they have a a, a big uh, what is it called a, a salad bar, yeah, yeah. and it used to be all you can eat, and now they're by the pound. So this is this is a big. This is a crushing day for Teak. He post <laughs> I'm still reeling. I know people that know me know I love uh, I love to eat. Um, and it was just uh, you know I'm still getting support here from the guys and from everybody at work. So, but things get better, you know. <laughs> things are looking up. But um, so so school was great. New things, new people, new food. Where did you live freshman year? I live all freshman dorm. It was called Hunipro with. Now friends are 80 people, all freshmen, that um, I've gone to weddings now, helped celebrate their uh, their uh, completion of graduate school. Some kind of off the beaten path and really interesting to learn from the things they've learned when they've explored, I don't know, the Andes for a year uh, or went off to play high-level sports after college. Um, I've seen a lot of people, they... You know, they kind of get more comfortable with themselves. Now I'm um, over five years out of school, and it's just cool to see people you meet when they're just out of high school, 18, 19, um, start to do things that they care about and are interested in. Yeah. Um, so anyway, school has been uh, – Stanford was unbelievable, life-changing. What did you major in? I did sociology, urban studies, and then did a lot of um, technology internships, worked at Nike, 
um, had the chance to work for a White House initiative, which helped me start to think about nationally, you know, how can we have impact when um, the White House initiative for Hispanic excellence in education, you know, it was an amazing lesson and reminder that there are a lot of challenges that people have across the country, across communities. So if you can figure out models, curriculums, things that help people in one place, oftentimes it's transferable, um, at least in some way. And so that was a really interesting lesson. And Nike was, uh, and the Nike Spark team was unbelievable to see how you could build something from an idea, a product, and turn into a national brand. Um, they also gave us a lot of free stuff, which was great. Um, I still have my original Nike shoes. They don't quite fit anymore. But um, so learned a lot in school and internships. So anybody that's listening that's in school or going into it, get internships, get mentors. You'll learn through doing. Uh, you can learn a lot in the classroom. I tried to. Um, but you can learn a lot by doing. What um, you, So you're, you're class of 2010. Yeah. Kind of part of the that big generation where I think there's a lot of actual cynicism towards getting a college degree, yeah. and there's a lot of people who graduated from school with like crushing debt, yeah. and who haven't been able to. I mean, you graduated two years a- after the you know one of the biggest recessions yeah. that uh, we've had, obviously. Um, what I kind of get the sentiment that you know. Um, and I say this, I think I can say this because I'm a Stanford alum, is that, you know, a lot of the Stanford kids are kind of immune to it and they're kind of little shitheads, you know? Like, you know, some of the people I worked with, some of the people I worked with in the indi- in the tech industry anyway, you know, they actively said, I don't want to hire any Stanford students because they're fucking little shitheads. <laughs> and they all, you know, they think they're going to, like, come in and as interns and then be the CEO and, you know, they're going <laughs> to, whatever, they're going to be the before the end of the first year and blah, blah, blah. But... What, amongst your cohort, amongst your classmates, yeah. you know, what did you see with regards to that? Like, you know, student debt, I know they have a really good financial aid system, so yeah. it's probably not as bad, but um, can you talk to that? And maybe your high school friends who didn't go to Stanford, what's yeah, the yeah. difference? Yeah. Yeah, I think about more generally, like, um, for everybody, but especially for, for Latinos and, and Latino students, is how do we build skills? you know, really concrete skills that you can show people, you can do that, whether it's on the accounting side, marketing, maybe it's social media that you've built campaigns, but how do you build real skills that you can show people that you help a company, help an organization, that you help people make money? Um, And that's something that took me a while to learn. I said, you know, I'm learning all these things in school, I've had these internships, but how can I really build skills that are easily understood that someone would hire me for? Um, I think, it's a really, it's a luxury for people to say, the people that can say, I don't want a college degree or need it, and I don't want to have that debt. I think for a lot of Latinos, we need those brands that say we're legitimate. People, I would argue, we don't get the benefit of the doubt. And that's whether you're a business owner with a $100 million business, that's whether you're uh, just starting your career, that's maybe as a high schooler, I don't think we get the benefit of the doubt. And we can talk about why, but because we don't get the benefit of the doubt, what are the things you can do to show that you're excellent? I think a degree is one way, it's not the only way. I think building skills that are easily understood is another way. And I think for businesses, let's say in regards to raising money, getting investors, if someone's raising money from the local bank or from some investment firm, if you see people have to do A, B, and C to get money from them, I would say just be ready with A, B, C, D, and E. 
and just know that you're going to have to have more than maybe some other people at this who ask for and are getting the same thing that you want. And so in terms of, of college degrees, I would say let's get skills. Let's knowing we're not going to get the benefit of the doubt, but build skills, know brands matter um, and do more than other people have to, to, you know. So you're saying Stanford is a brand. Absolutely. And it's a powerful one. And I think I try the the benefit of the doubt that I get and the support that I get, I know in many ways is tied to, to that brand and what people assume that, especially when I was younger and even now, people assume so much. Yeah. If you have a brand like Stanford, if you've worked at a company like Google, if you have done certain things, went, went and worked in certain places. And so I just think about for a whole community, when I think about friends like mine age in King City who are building careers, who are building lives, um, how can they get, if they can't access those brands in the same way, how can they build skills so that they have opportunities? Um, I think about in our work, how do we help the businesses get some of those brands, get some of that access? Um, and how do we do it not just for one or two people, how do we do it for thousands, tens of thousands of people? Yeah, yeah. Um, can you, um, what, what, uh, can you tell, or can, can we talk about dropping the S-bomb? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, in regards to Stanford and other universities, um, you know, they talk about for Mexicanos, we have a nopal on our forehead, right? I would say my nopal has an S on it. Um, and I feel bad sometimes, um, you know, leading that way. But I know how powerful um, being affiliated with Stanford is and, and speaking to that. I try not to, when I meet someone, say, hey, my name is Teek. I work at Stanford. Um, but it's just interesting to see as a Latino male who's young, the, how much more uh, opportunity I think I'm given, partly, sometimes largely because of that. And I just think about how do we help all Latinos, more Latinos, have that kind of trust, recognition, um, credibility. Absolutely. And how do we how do we do that? Yeah. So do you ever drop the S bomb to pick up girls? <laughs> I just swear. <laughs> you know you do, bitch. I know. <laughs> you know you do. I just I wear the you wear the wear Stanford shirt. shirt. That's yeah. it. That's basically just, dropping. Undershirt, Stanford yeah, it's an undershirt. socks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice shoes. And long you like, red what, socks. When you pay, you like drop the Stanford Federal Credit Union card. When the cops pull me over, yeah. the first thing I pull out is a Stanford employee ID. Yeah. But yeah, and so no, and that's true. I, and I, I feel it most viscerally when cops pull me over. I used to have a a '96 Ford Ranger that I love and miss, my baby, I miss you, two years, it's been, rest in peace. Uh, but my beautiful blue truck, uh, nobody at school had a truck, so when it was time to move out, I was everybody's best friend. You were, you were that Mexican mover, dog. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother got tired of it, he said, I'm not doing this anymore. So, so I would do it, and it just so happened with the truck that I could do many things, that I could help my friends. Also that I met a cop or a new cop probably about once a week, um, on campus and uh yeah the big s i would pull out my stanford id first and uh it would be a very different conversation yeah it's fucked up man honestly like you can't help but obviously use it sometimes because it's obviously gonna help is that still going yeah yeah yep. 
Sorry, we're looking at a recorder. We're just getting the tech down here. So, <laughs> um, well, number one, you you. Um, it's not like you're intentionally doing it. It comes up, right? And you notice the difference. Um, it's a little bit like um, when I started at Stanford, my first two years, this is actually not totally related to Stanford, but I that buffet, I gained like 25 pounds in my first two years. And I had no mus muscle at that time. It was just like, you know, whatever. I was just, all heart, all heart. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all heart, if you want to call that. Um, and then, um, and then the summer after my sophomore year, I went home, and my brother is a Marine, an ex-Marine, and um, I was like, dude, I gotta lose some weight or whatever. So we worked out for three months, yeah. and I lost like 25 pounds, and I put on all this muscle mass, and like literally, like from you know, from the end of my sophomore year to the beginning of my junior year, I got treated so differently because I was in shape now. I'd like be like girls would just be like, oh my, like, and it was like people couldn't believe it was me, number one. And then other people who didn't know me just obviously treated me better, you know? And I was like, damn, that's so fucked up. I mean, I like it. I'm not going to complain, but it's so fucking visceral and it's yeah. so fucked up. Yeah. But the Stanford brand can be similar. Yeah. And, um, and it's disturbing and it's, um, yeah, you know, what, when I would notice it too was when I was still in school and I would go back to Texas yeah. and I would like, you know, uh, run into somebody or just start talking to somebody at a bar or something like that and they'd be like, oh shit, you know, and they start treating you differently and it's yeah. like, whoa, like it's really, I mean obviously to us it doesn't seem like a big deal because you're in it, but you definitely get treated differently. On the flip side, like you said, um, you still get pulled over, you still get hassled, you know, if there's no obvious signs of this stuff. And uh, I volunteer, I'm, I'm on a board of a, a summer program that I did when I was in high school and I'm on a board. And I was at a, at one of the, I went to a board meeting this summer and the students were actually there um, and they do these cultural presentations and they were talking, these are high school students and they're all like on track to go to, uh, you know, these IVs and that sort of school. And so they were talking, a lot of kids, African-Americans from Chicago and New York and stuff, and they were talking about the need to go, they were excited about getting educations because they felt like they got treated a certain way yeah. and there was assumptions being made about them. And I was just like, honestly, like I was kind of like laughing to myself because I was like, this is great, you should go get those educations, but you're still gonna get treated. <laughs> I was like, you're still gonna get treated the same fucking way because I still do, you know? And I don't even look like thuggish. I don't, you know, I look kind of like a fucking little nerd, you know, I think, I don't know. But, you know, I don't look like threatening, I don't yeah. think, but I'm brown and I, you know, start to get treated certain ways. So I think at some point you just have to kind of, that sort of behavior you get towards you, you just, I don't let it bother me anymore. I think yeah. I used to a lot more when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but I'm almost immune to it now. I'm just like, whatever. I think one thing that I think about is like, I don't care who you are, if you have had an opportunity, a mentor, if you've learned something that's helped you in your business, in your life, just share it with somebody. You know, I would say share with the Latino, but share it with somebody um, that you see wants to do something that you've already done, you know? And that's, again, if you have a graduate degree from somewhere and you have some great lessons, mentors, insights, share it with somebody who wants to be where you're at. If you have a great business or a growing business, share it with somebody 
They don't have to be in the same industry competing with you, but share it with someone that you know that you trust. Or, um, you know, if you're a student, high school, college, middle school, if you have help and you figured something out, share it with somebody. You think um, that's a, like a Stanford way of thinking maybe? Because I feel like the people that I meet generally have that sort of like thought process of more or less wanting to share that as opposed to, I don't know, being more... Uh, you know, using it to for their own personal gains or whatever. I mean, what would you guys think if is that like a something I, that Stanford teaches? Like in Stanford, I also or? think it's a little Silicon Valley. It's yeah. kind of like you know, like not. I don't know a lot about it, but kind of like the open source kind of mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 kind of a a mentality of like sharing is going to make humanity better and it's gonna at the end at the same time make me more money yeah. quite honestly like it's basically like if yeah. everybody does this then things accelerate faster and effectively like people have kind of i feel like people here kind of accept the fact that like there's going to be casualties but that's okay that's part of the process yeah. and being open about it is okay and be and failure is okay and be- and because failure is okay, then sharing is okay because at the end of the day, everybody like kind of accelerates quicker together. Yeah. As opposed uh, to, as opposed to just being like, this is my fucking idea. I'm keeping it over here. I'm gonna try to yeah. like make a shitload of money by myself. Yeah. And and you know that eventually leads to a lot of failure too. But <laughs> you know, and and you that's in the sense where you're like, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail. Yeah. You know, where it's there's a lot of pride and and whatever. Whereas yeah. if you're like okay with failing. Because there's people here who fucking, you know, they're like, I'm 50 startups already, you know, they're like, (laughs) and like, you know, certainly I, you know, I'm sure you could get a bad reputation if you're like a douche or if you're not a good leader of an organization or whatever. But if you're generally good and you have a few home runs or a few, you know, doubles and triples, you can keep doing this. You can keep starting companies. Keep swinging big. Yeah. Yeah. Keep swinging big. So I think a lot of, and I don't know if it's Stanford or Silicon Valley, but they're intertwined in many ways. I think about too, like people think about, well, there's kind of a, the pie is this big and there's only a certain slice for you and me. So if your slice is bigger, mine is smaller. Um, you know, I love eating. I love pie. That's great. And so, so then I think about how do you grow the pie, right? How do you make it bigger? And I think that's part of the mindset is if you learn something, share it. If you have an insight, share it. Um, I think to your point about taking risks, you know, a lot of people of all backgrounds, it feels like they can't take a risk, right? You can't fail, that your, your family's not gonna eat or that your employees are not gonna have jobs if you fail. Now, I would say to those folks, and many of us have been there, and I've, you know, many families are driven by these businesses that you can't fail, you know, literally you can't fail. And I would say, you don't have to, you know, take risks in small ways, learn something new, try something a little bit different, but you can still take risks within reason. Um, People on the other side of the spectrum um, that are listening or not listening today, if you've had great opportunity, take big swings. I mean, I'm not telling you how to live your life, but take big swings because you have a chance to do it. And if it's something that you see there's a need, you give a shit, you care about it, then take a big swing at it. That's what I would say. Now, it's easier said than done, and I've tried it in some ways and failed. Uh, small startup, raise seed funding. I found out it's really hard to manage work with your friends. Uh, you guys still like each other, which I, <laughs> hey, I commend you for. Um, but if you have had the opportunity, uh, big opportunities, I would say take some big chances. Um, let's grow the pie. Let's eat it together. You know, yeah. <laughs> let's do it. One of the things you kind of touched on, obviously, is the, the, um, 
the level of risk that people are comfortable with. And I think that that is just directly tied to your financial stability. Absolutely. There's no Absolutely. other, you know, yeah. there may be some mental roadblocks to that or whatever, but, uh, and there's, I think I've read some articles about this. I think there was a Stanford guy, I think he may have been Vietnamese, who wrote this really cool article about how, like, you know, all the white kids around him were starting these startups, yeah. and he was just, like, hella excited about doing it, but he was literally working, like, he was going to Stanford, he was working a job, yeah. helping his dad out, who yeah. was kind of a, have you read this article? I don't no, know if you have, but, but basically, like, if you're in a financial situation where you can't, you literally can't, you, you know, that's why, like, you know, fucking companies are started by, like, you know, douchebags like Evan Spiegel or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say that. I don't know him. <laughs> I don't know him either, but I saw all the emails that him and his frat bros sent out, and those are douchebag so emails. Everyone listening, anything you do on a screen, act as if it's public. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. No, that's totally true. But yeah, that's just public. I mean, that's on. Yeah. That's in the public now, yeah. and you see all those emails. So the guy's yeah. a douche. There's no fucking doubt about it. <laughs> the guy's a fucking douche. But. And then he went off and started this company, and you know I don't know a lot about his background, but I'm, I'm you know I think he had, came from a, a good family, and he wasn't worried about just having a job, yeah. you know, and so you're able to take a lot more risks, and I think a lot of the founders are, you know, from those backgrounds where they're not worrying about that stuff, um, which is ultimately I think uh, cool to be talking to someone like Teek, who's kind of part of the transition in the Latino community, which is. In a lot of ways, like the opposite of, of that sort of uh, mentality of of not of having the ability to do whatever the hell you want because you know that ultimately you don't have any sort of like financial risk in some ways. And just to bring it back a little to to what you're doing specifically, like how do you try and uh, what sort of tools do you give people to try and make sure that they are you know successful or that they have you know more more success and that are that they're making progress and yeah. No, and I, I have a few quick thoughts about the financial health, you know, the balance sheet of our Latino households. And then, you know, I'm excited to, to think about and share more about the things that we share with our Latino business owners, both who are part of our program um, and who are not yet or haven't had the chance to. But in terms of our, our Latino households, we have 10 to 15 cents of, of household wealth uh, on the dollar versus the general uh, U.S. population. Really? And so when you think about that... Is that like savings or... Uh, assets, yeah. Assets, okay. So savings and, and assets or so wealth. For, so for the general population has $1, Latinos have 10 to 15 cents. Exactly. And we, you know, that gives you an idea of when you think about, can I take a risk? Do I have dollars available to start a business, whether as an artist whether as a small business owner, someone who has a great technology idea, do I have the dollars to live for when I'm just getting started for that first six months, that first year, that first 18 months? Um, can I do it without bringing in what I, what I would or was with a full-time job? And w one way in technology, and, and this is kind of one way people talk about raising funds in tech, is like zero to 18 months is friends and family round, right? So when we have 10 cents on the dollar, other communities, you know, <laughs> friends and family for us <laughs> is not quite the same as for other folks. Yeah. And so then when you go to that next level 
and you're pitching angel investors in tech specifically, or you're pitching accelerators, well, we haven't had a year or two years to just focus on the business because our friends and family, they support us, sometimes by being haters, um, but they support us. <laughs> and we love you the, for the hate. Let's go down that, that fucking rabbit hole. <laughs> but, but because of the difference in wealth, we don't have that friends and family to get going. So then you start to ask for, for more sophisticated investors early stage, and we haven't had the year or two years to just focus. And other people who have, their business looks very different than ours does when we've been scrapping, piecing it together. And so then when you go later stage and you hear about this company raised 10 million, that company raised 20 million, well, for our Latinos that get anywhere near that, they've had to work very, very hard for a very long time being scrappy to get anywhere near that. And so when people say, and this, this, at this end of the spectrum for technology is, is venture capital or institutional capital, but when people say we don't have Latinos that are ready for that, um, we have so much talent, so many great business owners in technology and outside, but it really starts with, do we have the capital to take risks? Do we have those friends and family? And if we don't, how are we going to build that as a community, as an ecosystem? So that again, whether an artist, a medium-sized business or a technology person, how do we help each other get there, especially to get going? And so it just it's a challenge. I think we're thinking through it, um, but we have so much talent, creative, dynamic, smart, people that see opportunity, that hustle. Um, so, but it does come back to when you first get going, yeah. how long can you just focus on the business? Yeah, it's like comparable to like, you know, a child, like the first 18 months are so critical or whatever. Yeah. And if you don't if you don't get it right then, then you know maybe the business isn't going to be developed enough when you're ready for the bigger stuff. Um, you guys were working on a, a big research yeah. project, right? Can you kind of summarize some yeah. of the findings? Yeah. yeah. So I'll start backwards. If you're a Latino business owner, I need you to fill out a five-minute <laughs> Stanford survey in English or Spanish. Um, but the more of you Latino business owners, especially in Latina, the better stories we can tell about you if we get you and a few of your friends um, to fill this out we can say things like in the southwest latinas are building businesses that are growing faster than anybody else and we can say things and we're starting to see some of the early data we're doing this big push in the fall of 2016 now um, but the more that you share with us the better we can tell your story and it's exciting to see um, Stanford's interest in using its research capacity to tell this story. That being said, it took a Latino, Professor Jerry Porras, to fight like hell to make this initiative happen. And so now Stanford's president supports us, and hopefully there'll be increasing support and we'll grow the team. Um, but to have, through research, to be able to tell stories that are data-driven so that Policymakers, organizations, investors really see this opportunity. We know it's there, but how can we, through this research, through you filling out a survey? Um, you guys are, you guys, in a nutshell, are trying to compile the largest, most comprehensive database of Latino-owned businesses in the U.S. Absolutely. So we know there are over four million Latino business owners in the country today. Um, we grow. That's growth ahead of our population growth which is great, keep doing your thing, let's keep having more Latinos here in the country, both coming and, and uh, being born. Baby making. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful keep thing. Keep fucking people. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, but we wanna keep have- fucking and starting businesses. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we do. Amen. Amen. 
but we think about, you're right, there are over 4 million Latino businesses. We have a database of, of just about 2 million. So we want everybody. Um, and for you, business owners, we want you to share once a year. It's a, the, We want to speak to the state of the Latino entrepreneur. One way to think about it is like a census of Latino entrepreneurs, a little bit about our business owners, a bit about their businesses, how you get investment or not. Uh, and the opportunities that you see. So many of our business owners serve uh, a broad market. Everybody thinks Latinos have these types of businesses serving only Latinos. So and, it's, yeah, so and, you say, and I've seen I've seen hundreds and there are hundreds of thousands of Latinos across the country in every industry who have built large businesses, who sell and market and serve everybody. And we, we build anything. Now, you know, and this, this is data back, but it's things we already know. We stretch a dollar further than anybody. And we do. What does that mean exactly? So, in terms of investment dollars for, for early stage companies of all sorts, either brick and mortar, um, small, medium sized enterprises, or technology companies, we're able to self finance, um, yeah, essentially keep the lights on ourselves and build businesses in spite of and through that. Um, we have to be more capital efficient, resource efficient. Oftentimes, um, this is less data backed, but I would say have to figure out a better service or something that's more um, more acutely needed that people will pay for. Um, because if you don't figure that out early for us, if you don't have cash on hand, then you're dead. Yeah. Then you're dead. Yeah. There's there's less time to experiment and to kind Absolutely. of. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I see that. Yeah, I can see that. Um, there was one piece of data that that came out of last year's report um, that seemed to me uh, really interesting and that was basically that I forget the number exactly but the size of businesses is like tiny yeah can you talk to that yep I think um, first I'll say to to anyone out there if you have if you see a need and an opportunity you know start a business think about that but one way you can without having to file the paperwork start a company sell something to 10 people and if that's a technology then sell it manually do whatever your tech would do get to do that for 10 people and learn through that um if you have if you think everyone's gonna buy uh the food that you make you know do it for 10 people get them to pay um in terms of why are our businesses not at the same level um versus kind of the median american entrepreneur i think first i'll say in every industry at every size we do have businesses there. So if you, you know, we have large technology companies. There was uh, one of the leading Latino entrepreneurs, Marcelo Claude. He started a company called Brightstar. And the story goes, he started selling phones out of the back of his trunk and now uh, built an over $15 billion business. And I think you can quote me on that, but uh, over $10 billion business. And now he's running Sprint. So if you have Sprint and it's great service, you have a Latino to thank. If not, um, they're getting better. So, um, but why are we not at the same level? I, I do think it comes back to in many ways that early capital. Um, in in many ways, um, it also comes back to what's true for many business owners is that it's one thing to manage and to whatever you do as a business owner service you provide. There's only so much of you in a week, and. It's hard to go from a manager opening and closing the, the shop, if you will, to being a CEO and hiring and managing managers. 
So that's a challenge for anybody, any business owner, any manager. Do you think that's more challenging for Latinos? I, I, w- I would say so, especially folks who have to bootstrap, who have to get the business going with their own money or you know, their, their, their prima's money or their sister's. Um, I, I think that's the case. It's hard to let go in some ways of, of that um, well, not, really deep ownership. Yeah, not, I, I think not that we would like, you know, not that anybody's figured this out, but I always wonder, um, you know, there's the there's the capital issue, yeah. which, which is very clear. But there are there. I wonder if there are any cultural, you know, barriers or stigmas yeah. to 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 doing that. And um, you know, my dad, like I said, always had two jobs. One of them was like basically running like a body shop, yeah. and that was like the after work job. You know, he could have, I think, really grown. He was very good at it, and he had a lot of business. But he could have grown that into something big. And what I noticed, you know, in retrospect is a lot of lack of trust. Yeah. You know, kind of like wanting control over the business. uh, And that keeps it very small. Um, And um, and I think I think, you know, there's also some a lot of it seems like anecdotally, there's a lot of like family businesses. Yeah where you you're hoping to give it to your son or your daughter or you want that control to remain within the family so you're kind of limiting yourself has has the research you've done kind of dived into that at all or one was that we do have a lot of family-owned businesses right and so um i think that's a great thing my dad always jokes um that he always has an apron ready for us if we want to go back and, and run the store um but I know for so many Latino businesses, they are family-owned and, and started. Um, one challenge of that is that the household balance sheet and the business balance sheet uh, become intertwined. And that's a dangerous game to play. Um, and so thinking about... What, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so, so um, again, when we come back to our about 10 cents on the dollar versus uh, median dollar of, of wealth, of assets, of savings... Mm-hmm. Um, that means you're spending money um, on things that um, you're spending money that often should be for the household, for the family. That starts being the seed capital, if you will, uh, for the business. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah and, and it's tough. And it's yeah. tough. And so you start to have the risk of being running a business and the stress of that and the risk of kind of you're betting on yourself which which is great and makes sense but it's also um at the cost or at the risk of of uh, putting strain on your family whether that's your wife or husband uh whether that's your daughter or son or the other folks living with you if you're latino and you have you know <laughs> more than just a, a big family in your house um so that's one challenge um the opportunity i think and it's funny um well, m- many opportunities from having family-owned businesses. Um, one thing I, I think about um, is is to have that trust, that level of trust with your senior leadership is, is so important. And anybody, I, I would argue, who's built large businesses can tell you that. That so many businesses fail because those people building from the beginning, they stop liking each other. They fight. And not just fight, like the day-to-day fights like maybe you guys do. Um, but the real kind of business shaking um you know lack of partner or uh, breakups yeah. um and so 
that that still happens in families and sometimes it's it's even bigger a blow up but to have that trust early is a powerful thing i, I would argue that maybe that's part of why we can make our uh, our capital generally stretch a little bit further you can lean on family in a way that you might not uh, another person and you can trust and and um, in a way that you might not just someone who's a business partner um one thing that we see uh, with the Stanford program, when we're serving businesses who are at a million, 10 million, $100 million, is what you spoke to before, which is that transition from the mother and matriarch CEO and chairman uh, to a daughter in the family. And so seeing transitions are hard for anyone, for any business, uh, intergenerationally or not. And so to see how can we help train our Latina-led businesses, our Latino-led businesses to have those types of transitions and not skip a beat and use that as an opportunity to really to grow, to rethink how the business is structured um, and to hopefully grow. Um, it's not easy, again, for anyone, but I think that's a really interesting opportunity to have so many large Latino businesses, family-owned with kind of the next generation um, coming up and saying this is an opportunity to again reassess take a step back some who have used our program for that um and hopefully they can continue to grow yeah it's certainly the program is is definitely a good for us it was a nice kind of opportunity to take almost like a break and yeah. really kind of assess the state um i know so the mentorship was really helpful for us but um you certainly focused it seems like you were focused on particularly this issue of taking kind of a smaller business or whatever state you might yeah. be and taking it to the next stage. Yep. And, and the Huggies class, Huggy Rao, who's a professor at the GSB Graduate School of Business at Stanford, um, they had it, basically we went through it, it was an online course yeah. where um, you're kind of forced to, I, I would say a lot of it was actually kind of psychology. Yeah, mindset. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's mindset. I, 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 that's the right way, I, I guess, um, which is psychology, I guess. But um, and and kind of forcing people to uh, evaluate um, behaviors as well as practices um, that you know effectively lead to decision making and everyday execution of of a business. Um, but it's tough. Um, it's very tough, I think, to, because actually, like a lot of those things that they, that are in the course or that are in Huggy's, you know, um, book and curriculum, um, I almost felt like okay, these like to be able to kind of take a step back and like try to put these, they're like it would be a luxury to have the time, yep. you know, to be able to do that, yeah. <laughs> to be able to do yeah. that, yeah. you know, and uh, and so I, I think like within bigger businesses or corporations where they have, you know, you have the money. Yeah. to kind of reassess and to reset like it's great practice but uh for smaller businesses like it's certainly it was awesome to think about it and to be like okay we need to do this or that or whatever but um i think putting it in practice is still really challenging yeah it it's it's hard i know for the startup i built coming out of college i learned what was your startup what was yeah. your idea we uh <laughs> <laughs> i want to hear this yeah. well Dick snap. I'll tell you, no, I'll, i could talk more about it but but one thing that i learned and we've seen with hundreds and, and hopefully soon thousands of companies is that oftentimes especially if you're a first-time entrepreneur or business owner when you just when you got started you worked with what you had 
you know, you pick the office because that's what was available or affordable. You set up your desks in a way that that's the way that it worked. Your first customers were your first customers and, and you could try to target some people, but it might have been somebody else. And the service or the product that you, you sold, maybe you thought you were going to sell three things and one was the only one that really was flying off the shelves. And so a lot happens on the fly and someone could come from the outside of your business, your company and say, man, you should do this and that better. And you kind of say, man, you know, F you, Um, you know, we built this and and yeah, I see that uh, we could have done it better, but you know, I have a hundred things to think about every day and yours yours is 101 about the way that our team manages email or the way that we do, you know, (laughs) weekly meetings, you know, for the first year, we didn't have time to do a weekly meeting. Um, so anyway, so so that's something that when you build something, especially first time entrepreneurs, look, we, we make it work, you know, and then we try to get on solid footing and, and, and then take a step back and look at what you do. Yeah. I would say, look, for anyone that's that's interested in the Stanford Latino Entrepreneur Leaders Program, our next cohort is in the spring of 2017. Um, so look for that uh, next year. We'd love to have you apply any and all Latino business owners who want to build a huge company, 10 million, hundred million dollar, billion dollar company. For now, um, the criteria we've had and heavily preferred is that the business be at a million a year in revenue or sales, or if they're a technology company broadly, uh, that they've raised 500,000 of external capital. Now that's at a particular stage for our cohorts of 80. We also have a number of slots for people who are doing something that we think is unbelievably uh, has an opportunity to be a huge business. That was us because we, <laughs> we certainly do not meet any of the first yeah. criteria. But, they're, but they're, <laughs> that they're must getting, have been us. <laughs> but you guys, you're getting there and growing the reach that you have, and that's what we see. Is you know, there's a huge opportunity for the audiences that you reach. You know, and we saw that you you communicated that with us. Um, but again, you know, for for anybody uh, who wants to build a huge business, you're a Latina Latino business owner you know, look out for the program next year. Um, I think for those that until then, until the spring of 2017, or if you don't, for whatever reason, have a chance to be part of the program, you know, try to carve out some amount of time a week. Maybe it's even just 30 minutes to think about, you know, what's one thing we could do better this week and what's one thing that we did really well. And, you know, I can share a checklist. I I won't share my email, but maybe you can Facebook these guys. But, um, there are all types of checklists, business practices, best practices of just like of what's one thing in this in this domain, whether it's in my hiring, whether it's in marketing, whether it's in my training, but just what's one thing I did well, what's one thing we can do better. Um, and maybe you have your right hand in the business do that with you. Um, and then maybe you have your newest employee do that as well, right? And, and you'll do whatever you think makes sense, but if you take one hour, even 30 minutes a week to just think about how the week went. I, I know it's really hard, and, um, but if you take a little bit of time to do that in whatever form, whatever structure, I think it's helpful. Yeah, yeah. One thing you mentioned uh, right now is you, know, you guys are looking for businesses of a certain size yeah. and specifically looking at that. Um, one of the things I've been, we've been forced to confront here is because we initially had a vision for this being a certain size and trying to look for funding or whatever it's been very difficult for us we had basically did a a friends and family thing that's how we got this thing going Uh, we haven't been able to even do like a significant seed fund and you know we're an interesting interesting space because the media 
yeah. media tech space is evolving. It, the monetization is very tricky. Yeah. Whatever. It changes every year fast. Yeah. So it's changing. There's a lot. We, you know, we, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. Whatever. Like yeah. first time, like yeah. trying to start something like this. Um, that said, I think there's also something to be said for the. I'm not gonna say that it was it was misguided to think that we could do this, or to for it to be that big. But one of the things we're doing now is basically saying like, okay, like, how can we make this extremely viable for having like you know 1,000 hardcore customers? Yeah, yeah. And not thinking 10 million. Like, yeah. dude, if we could make you know a few hundred grand a year off of this, this would be amazing. Eventually, something you know bigger can come out of it or whatever. <laughs> so I feel like there's kind of like they're not competing mindsets. Yeah. But there is a whole faction of yeah. business people who are like, just focus on three customers. Yeah. Be really good at that. Yeah. Like, not everybody needs to raise $2 million. Yeah. 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 No, <laughs> why, is, why are you guys kind of choosing to kind of think bigger like yeah. that? Yeah. I, think, um, I think about this kind of opportunity or that theme. Um, one way I think about it is what makes sense... Um, to have your business be viable and for it to be strong. And then on the other side is um, how do you build a billion dollar business that employs hundreds of people, right? And there's a large, and I think you can't have this billion dollar plus business without first starting with what what's viable, what not just keeps the lights on, but what, what has us grow, what has us be able to hire and continue to grow the team. That being said, um, there's a lot of, I would say, uh, misinformation or just lies about how easy it is to get from a viable business to over here where you're, I don't know, on Newsweek and Time or TechCrunch or what have you. And it just, and nobody talks about all the failure. I think people yeah, say failure is good. Failures. Yeah, they say failure is good. And they leave it at that. They don't talk about their own failure. They don't talk about the things that they have seen that haven't worked over and over. So failure is good. The idea, my failures, I'm not going to share, which is like me dodging the question about my startup because we <laughs> failed. Um, so why did your startup fail? Yeah. What is the, what is the, you know, the people, the team okay. and being able to communicate. And I know that sounds like everybody says that kind of thing. Obviously, you know, not everybody says that. I mean, yeah. most people blame the customers or like, yeah. <laughs> I was, you like, can't blame the customers. Yeah, or, it's yeah, not their fault. Yeah. It's not their no, fault. No, a lot of people be a like, lot of people you do. know, we were fucking ahead of our time, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, it just it's wasn't true. the right time. It's true. You know, it's true. And I think, um, you know, you're right. You're right. People say I was, um, you know, I think to, to come back to what makes your business be viable and, and strong at whatever growth rate, at whatever stage, you know, I like your framework of what are a thousand, pay, some instances often it'll be a thousand paying customers. How do we get there? Um, how do we get 10,000 views, clicks, what have you? Um, that's not easy. I don't care who you are. If you're talking about downloads, clicks, if you're talking about dollars in the door, I don't care who you are, that's not easy. And you can pick any level of that and add zeros, subtract zeros. But figuring that out um, is very important. I would say, A, so that you can exist as a company and you learn through your offerings. But B, you also get an idea of how big is your market. Because again, it's one thing to say um, there are 300 million Americans and average household income is $60,000. So our market is 300 million times or however many households. So anyway, big numbers, a lot of zeros. And 
that's great and it sounds great, makes for great headlines. But if you come back to what is your viable business, what are your first hundred paying, ten paying, hundred paying, thousand paying customers, you get an idea of how hard it is to get there, challenging. And then you see, okay, well, let's actually look from the bottom up of the opportunity that we have, the market that we have. And then you'll you'll have a much better idea than you had when you started. And then you say, okay, well, I think in in one year this could be this size. In five years it could be that size. And it might not be the billion dollar in revenue business that people say is easy to build. In fact, in many ways it probably won't be. But with you getting those first thousand people paying, those first hundred, those first ten, you'll have a much better idea of what's the real opportunity. And then when you learn that becomes, are you interested in that opportunity? And people, I mean, it's funny, it's so skewed in Silicon Valley. People say, God, I don't want to have a a $20 million in sales company and sell for however many million. That's just, I'm not interested in that. And I start to learn and I've seen businesses where they say, look, if we're selling 20 million worth and then somebody buys us whatever type of business um, for twice that, that's a hell of a success. I don't care who you are, especially for as we build wealth in our community, for our diverse and our Latina and Latino founders. So learn through those first 10, 100,000 customers. You'll have a much better idea of your real market and the real dollars there. And it can grow and, and customers learn. It's never blame the customers, but they can learn and, 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 and it can grow. But through that, you see the opportunity. And if you're interested in that, which for a lot of people they still are, then keep building. Um, and don't worry about being compared to the very, very, very small number of businesses that can grow to be a billion dollars. Uh, who cares about them? Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like a lot of the focus is on, um, in, in Silicon Valley and, and in the startup culture, yeah. which is on very strong online, regardless of where you live. Yeah. It's on funding. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just got funding. It's yeah. like, well, how many customers do you have here? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like people just yeah. like, yeah. you know, and they, and they, they want, yeah. you know, obviously like everybody's looking for the unicorn or whatever, yeah. blah, 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 blah. but you know, even, even like beyond that, it's like, man, like, can I just build like a company that, you know, can sustain like a team of 20 people and yeah. Yeah. that'd be amazing. Yeah. Be <laughs> no, and huge. And I, I think, um, from what I've seen and learned, that mindset of raise is the the positive signal versus customers and the, and the business. Um, a big part of that comes from how VCs, investment firms make money. You know, um, and excuse me if I mansplain or dumb this down or if it's boring, but essentially um, VC shops, private equity shops, they invest in your company, they take a percentage. They only make money if two things happen. One, you get acquired, or two, you go public. Very, 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 very few companies ever go public. I don't care what background the founder, I don't care where in the world. Uh, such a small, an infinitesimal, is that how you say it, ESL? Um, but a very, very small number of businesses go public. A larger, but not that many, a larger percentage, not that many companies get bought or acquired. And that's across the spectrum um, from all types of businesses will get acquired in some way, and that's more the uh, different types of, of private equity. But those are the only way investors make money. Right. So if you're going to get bought, part of how you are valued is based on how much you sell, right? And so if you're selling... 
or your user base or your user base regardless of whether there's any that's true that's true (laughs) if you have a yeah some tech companies that's true and needs to be acknowledged is that some folks have not made any money tens of millions of people use their platform or service or app so then they value what they think those millions of people would pay if they got them to pay somehow. Never mind that the business is entirely different once you start charging people. Yeah, and it changes the way people yeah interact yeah. And, and so so anyway so I think a big part of that culture around growth 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 is that's the only way these investors make money and so when you get bought oftentimes for a multiple so if you sell a million dollars in revenue you'll get bought for some multiple of that based on your business two x. 5x people say a lot of x in silicon valley but anyway so your business has to be large in sales so that when you get acquired for 5x what you sell then your investor can make money now there are so few firms that need that type of capital i mean if you don't want to grow at that rate you don't need to take that money from those folks and so but i think unfortunately right now in silicon valley and in a lot of places across the country that's what's um that's what people want to do. That's what's seen as the only valid or legitimate or exceptional type of business. And that's absolutely not true. To, have, to build a company with 20 people who are reaching tens of millions of people is an unbelievable success. And very few people do that. Um, but we only hear about these huge, huge wins. And for you, I think for the business owners here, you know, I think about, you know, if you were to double, what does that look like for you? You know, ground yourself in that. Ferraris. <laughs> <laughs> Bubbly water. Bubbly water. <laughs> Bubbly snacks water for all. Snacks. <laughs> Lunch or, once a week. Organic <laughs> trail mix. <laughs> it's true. Not just not just homemade trail no. mix. Um, but but I, I, I just think, and it's easy for me to say right now, not running a business, but if you come back to who your customers are, again, like we talked about. If you're really early, those first 10, 100,000 paying, if you're you're further along, you know, how do you double the amount of customers you have every year? Um, you know, you can't, you can't go wrong by that, um, I would say. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's Teak Chapa 3.0? <laughs> what, what do you, what do you think you're gonna, how long, you know, obviously you don't wanna tell your employment plans here, but what would you like to do next? Yeah. It seems to me like uh, you haven't gone to B school. I have not yet. Are you interested in going to B school? I very much am interested in uh, going to business school. I'd love to have have the chance to choose between Harvard and Stanford for business school, and there are other great schools throughout the country. Uh, I told Professor Jerry Porras, um, one of my bosses, that I'd love to do that in a um, in a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, you know, Teak sounds like he's like this old guy because he knows so much shit <laughs> but but teak hold on so you're six years 28. out he's 28 years old so teak is and my twin brother is the exact same age as well <laughs> <laughs> one minute yeah so uh, it's old, fucking yeah, crazy that you know we're having this yeah. conversation that's really like in depth and like knowledgeable about some shit and it's like this 28 year old punk from king city <laughs> <laughs> who could barely even lift <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who walked in here with Hey, what is that? A one a gallon. gallon crystal geyser? Because he fucking lifts like a beast. Stay hydrated, my friends. All of you. Today, Hillary Clinton had a, a bit of a pneumonia. She's going to be fine. I'm with her. Um, but drink your water, friends. So you think you want to go to B school next? Yeah. Is that what you think? And I think, I, you know, we talked about 
how do people build businesses? We talked about household wealth, 10 cents on the dollar for Latinos. And for me, I want to have the opportunity to invest in Latinos, especially at that early stage, that very early stage where they're at prototype, where there's a small team. Um, and not that they figured everything out, but to really be that, that friends and family is, is a stage that I'm really excited about because I see so much talent from all industries. I see so much technical talent. I see so many people who know huge markets and they've worked in them and in, in, in corporate jobs. So for me to have the chance to be um, a VC um, and deploying capital, helping invest in talented Latinos is where I want to go. And I'd love to, um, you know, find the way to do that and use business school as a way to learn about either how to improve my skills and grow that and, and get on the way to raising funds that are funds um, where we can deploy, you know, $100 million to invest in all types of great businesses, especially with eyes toward Latino and black founders. Yeah. I want to bring up something really quickly yeah. and just get your thoughts on, um, uh, I feel like the election is this year, it's relevant. And yeah. I was just thinking about how like, yeah the you know donald trump's rhetoric is very sort of like poisonous to yeah, like the absolutely. what you're trying to do yep it's like he's almost like a direct like enemy towards yeah like. yep absolutely <laughs> he's the enemy of teak chocolate <laughs> <laughs> you can keep going yeah i think um i have many thoughts uh <laughs> you know first i'll say to to slightly dodge your question look if you're latina latino i don't care who you are where you live if you can register to vote, go register to vote. Mm -hmm. If you're already registered and you didn't vote in the non-presidential election cycle, because you, you may have not, many of us didn't, mm -hmm. you're going to vote this time. And I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just saying register and vote. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have to do that. I don't care what state you're in. I don't care if it matters or not. I don't care how you vote. Just vote. Sure. And I, it's not that doesn't guarantee anything. That doesn't mean things aren't going to gonna change. It doesn't mean that education is going to get better in and of itself. It doesn't mean that our businesses are going to grow faster. It sure. doesn't mean that 11 million people are going to have a pathway to citizenship or that our dreamers are going to have the opportunities that they should. It doesn't mean that, but I still need you to do it. <laughs> this is an interest. We live in interesting times, as they say, um, because so wise. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I do, I'll say I love politics. Uh, I did organizing in East LA and in central California um, and I believe that I do believe that an individual person can make their day-to-day -day life better through politics. I, I honestly believe that. And I'm a little naive, I think, for thinking that. But go register, go vote. We live in interesting times because Trump, if nothing else, provides cover in a lot of ways for a lot of hate to emerge. Hate is, is okay now in a way that I, hadn't, I haven't seen it in, in at least my short lifetime. Sure. Uh, I haven't seen the kind of rhetoric. I haven't seen a politician be forgiven for saying the kind of idiotic, ignorant things that he has. Um, you know, for all of our families, I would say hold your kids a little bit closer <laughs> at night. Uh, I would say love your friends a bit more uh, and support and trust each other. But, you know, I'd also say that these are real things that people think in terms of especially for us as Latinos that we're job takers, not job makers, that we um, are not interested in education versus looking at the ever increasing and improving Latino graduation rates at every level. Um, people believe in things that are not true. 
And I'm not saying it's your job to prove everywhere you go that Latinos are building, that we're growing. Um, it's not your job to do that. But, you know, whoever you are, wherever you're at, if you continue to learn a little bit, do a little bit better, then, I, you know, do your thing that way. But to see that kind of ignorance and lies come from someone who shouldn't be, won't be, um, but could be the leader of the free world, it, it scares the hell out of me. Um, that being said, um, you know, I, I, I think that we can make, individual people can make our day-to-day -day lives better if you're part of this process. If you help think about who is your mayor, you know, I have a, a friend and peer and someone I look up to in Stockton, the city of Stockton in California, and like King City, Stockton, and like any other place, it has its challenges. Um, but my friend Michael Tubbs, who's, I forget how old he is, maybe he's 25 or 26, he's someone who said, my community can be better. He thinks and knows and has been able to do that as someone who's been elected. And so another plug uh, for any of you Latinos out there who want to make your communities better, who see something, run for something. Run for school board. Run to be... Uh, on, a, on different local boards, run for city council, especially in our small towns, and I'm biased, where we have a lot of Latinos in small towns, and we have no Latinos on the city council. We haven't had, some places haven't had a Latino mayor, and everywhere, local state government affects your day-to-day -day in a whole lot of ways that you might not be aware of, so run for something. I'll say to our Latinas especially, to my Latina friends, to Latinas out there, don't wait your turn. You might not get asked to run for something, whether you work in politics or not, whether you're a leader or not. You might not get asked in the same way. You probably won't get asked in the same way white males get asked or tapped to run, or even in the same way your Latino, your male brethren get asked. But if you're a Latina and you see need, just run for it. You're gonna, you may get a lot of shit for it, but just run and you'll learn through that. But, but anyway, register, vote, we have to. If you have a need and you see it, run for something uh, at the local level. Um, and, you know, we have to do it this year. 2016, you know, we have to do it. We have to make our voice heard. And we are. And that's one thing, too, as I see. We see how committed our whole community is. When people say Latinos aren't engaged, are you kidding me? Talk to your tia. Talk to your, <laughs> talk to your cousins who are in high school. Like, they, we know this year is huge. We know it's important. We might not, nobody reads every policy piece. So that's not fair to say that everybody understands everything 100%. Hell, I don't. We shouldn't have to. We, we shouldn't elect have to. people who Absolutely. are paid to do that for Absolutely. us and to Absolutely. trust them to do that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I always Absolutely. tell people that. Absolutely. That actually, like the California voting process actually really frustrates me where, yep. where you can vote on uh, bills. Yep. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> like, I'm supposed to vote for people to yeah. fucking to do, do this, this for yeah. me. Like, I this. appreciate, yeah. I kind of get the reason why that ha probably happened? I don't under yeah. I don't know the history. Yeah. But I'm like, job. God damn it! Like, yep. don't they pay people to fucking do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what I'm voting on. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. have time to sit here and like. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I think about. And I'm like really smart. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to be. We have a big S on the nopal on our forehead, so we're supposed to be. And what a and cock. I, <laughs> I think about <laughs> you are smart. I know you are. <laughs> and great, um, but I think about. An interesting thing has happened in California where we have in the state Senate and Assembly, um, the leaders of those are Latinos. And so we think about, and what I'm excited about is as the years pass, Who is that? Um, I should know their names. 
and I don't offhand. But there was Delion from LA, I believe, on once uh, on Upper House. It, it was Alejo, I believe, my assembly member from Watsonville, Central Coast, California. Don't quote me on it, and I don't know who it is now, but that's, I think, I believe, pretty much know to be true, is that the leaders at the state level of California, of the legislators, are Latinos. And I think about, and we can make this happen as a community, but when it becomes the norm that Latinos are running running shit essentially running and we things we could just be as corrupt as yeah. all and everyone so, else and so, <laughs> and equal so, opportunity corruption for all and, and that's the thing and, and we have to be aware of but i think is that let's you know wherever you're at keep learning and keep growing and lead if you see that there's a need you know lead at at the highest ends of the state and federal government as we get more diverse people black and, and latino and, and asian um that'll become more a part of, of the norm. And so then what do we do with that kind of power? Because I think from, and there's a picture here of Cesar Chavez and, and an ode to Dolores Huerta and others for the Chicano movement and labor rights. There's a whole lot of work at the board and corporate level the last 30 years to improve access for Latinos. Um, there's a whole lot of work, as we know, around immigration um, reform and change and, and our dreamers really leading the way for that. But as we fight and think about and strategize and learn how to get power, also give yourself some credit and know that we're getting there. We're there in some ways. We're going to get there. Let's not be as corrupt as things have been. You know, Let's not have business as usual. How do we think about how we can have new frameworks, new models, you know, transparency? It's easy to say, but, but know that to my Latino people, especially and black folks, we're on the way. We're getting there. We're building our power. And we have it and are growing it, but how can we be better and, and, and not just be the same kind of representatives that don't care and serve people? Well, there's always going to be douchebags, and it doesn't matter yeah. if they're yeah. brown or white or yellow or yeah. black or yeah. whatever. I think, I think what excites me about the, uh, the clear diversity that is happening, and, and we said the colors, but we should also say gender, Absolutely. is that... Um, Basically, like, and this this doesn't just this doesn't pertain just to government, but also whether it's corporations or whatever. But it's basically like diversity brings in varying viewpoints yeah. that make things better, yeah. right? And it's you've heard the stories in tech about like you know Google with their facial recognition app, you know, basically like thinking like that monkeys were African Americans, and that's because there's probably like three fucking black coders at Google. Like, honestly, like, whenever I go to Apple and stuff and I, like, walk around, I see a black person, I'm like, damn, like, that's fucking rare. And I see a Mexican, I'm like, you know, they're probably working in the food services, quite fucking honestly. So, and, and it, it, the, 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 diverse, the lack of diversity leads to shittier products. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the same thing in governance. Yeah. Um, I have absolutely zero um, confidence that it's going to make governance itself, like, the process any better because yeah. I think there's always going to be a douche like whoever it is I mean yeah. but you know <laughs> but I think in general I guess it you know people are looking out because you understand yeah. you know somebody who's also dealt with those issues yeah. um, and I mean there's a bunch of Mexicans running Mexico and it's garbage down there so <laughs> I'm not sure that's what we want, yeah, Teak. Just in and of itself. Yeah, <laughs> Let's just true. throw yeah. that out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll say, and you spoke to it earlier, any Latina that, that runs for office that's leading something 
go for it when we support you especially you know i do our program and also running for office running organizations latina and black women um keep building and growing and and you know finding your and building support in many ways we're building our own support structures now but uh and that's important and and know that that foundation that you're building now you know people are dumb in many ways especially when they look at opportunities for our communities but you keep build build national global things um, and only good will come of it. I'll, I'll trust our Latina and black women <laughs> the most. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll be with you on that. Yeah, I'll be with you on that. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, um, I'm sure you got other things to do. What does Teak Chapa do for fun? What are you doing? <laughs> I know you lift, bro. <laughs> what is your workout like? <laughs> I know you're like into like deadlifts and like yeah. basically powerlifting, right? Yeah. And then um, I'm a CrossFit bro oh, uh, in a, really? a low key way. Okay. But, uh, on the down low, you're, <laughs> you're on the down low. DLCF for CrossFit. <laughs> about the DL for CF. <laughs> but I like to do that. My brother's twice as strong as me, so I joke. Even just spotting him, and I get stronger. Um, but but it's fun to do that to to clear my head. Um, I, How many times a week do you? What is your routine like? Um, my my tia will excuse me and my parents but like the gym is like church to me at this point yeah. um i know it doesn't quite cut the same but it, you it know. does <laughs> in so. my book so you're probably doing more better for your body and your <laughs> mental health than being in the gym than in church sorry tia. <laughs> <laughs> but i still believe uh, and i should go to confession more. um but especially after this, <laughs> especially after this. Um, but try to do something five, six days a week. What is Michelle Obama says? Let's read. Let's move. Do 30 minutes of something a, a week. I try to do five or six days, um, a little bit of something. Um, and then I'm trying to to learn how to dance. My joke is when there are no Latinos somewhere, I'm a decent dancer. And if there are Latinos, then I can't dance at all. Um, so this is the first year I took any type of classes. I was like an hour late to an intro. What are you taking? Class. Um, just in... I went to, actually, I haven't even gone to that many, but Salsa Bachata. Okay. Um, Where are you going? There's a place in Mountain View. Alberto's? Yeah. Oh, God. I love it. I'm trying. God, look, look. I tried that when I was about your age. Yep, yep. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck is happening to our 28-year-olds because I did yep, this. Yep. I went in there. I'm horrible at salsa. I, yep. say, I say Mexicans eat salsa. We don't <laughs> dance salsa. Fuck that shit. Yep. So I was in there once, and like you... Do they still do this where you're like in two circles and the guys yeah. move around and you dance? Keep going because I have a story too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell it to be as quickly as possible. Yeah. And like I'm doing this and I'm fucking up to no end. And the reason I'm doing it <laughs> is because too. I'm trying to like get ready for this trip to New York where yeah. I'm taking Larissa and I want her to take her salsa dancing and yeah. I want to impress her and all yeah. this shit. And I'm going around and I'm fucking up every freaking way I can do it. Yeah. And then... Um, I come up to this older, I was like your age, probably like 28 at the time, maybe 27, 26. Yeah. And uh, I come up to this older white woman who's probably my age now, she's probably like 40. And like, we're kind of doing the dance or whatever and then we take a break and the guy's talking and I'm clearly awful. Like I keep running into her and whatever. Step yeah. And I just kind of said like, oh, is it your first time here? And you know, I'm just making small talk. I'm like, whatever. And she's like, no, but I can tell it's yours. <laughs> and I was like, damn, bitch. Oh my God. <laughs> the fuck out of here i fucking left i never went back i never went back <laughs> what i ended up doing was i put a thing on like uh i forget the like the stanford serve whatever and uh and like i found like a student like this girl who was a freshman and i was like a, i think i was a senior that year or something 
and um, and I paid her like you know ten dollars an hour, and I just like she, she taught me like six times or something, and that worked well, and she wasn't a bitch. So <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. that's what I read. <laughs> yeah, any of my friends and uh, you know learn so how to dance. What happened to you? Your story there. I. It's a, apparently you go there's a circle lesson before and then it's just dancing after open and there are more um, guys and women which apparently happens and so I, I'm dancing maybe the third or fourth partner and it's simple moves but there's a guy standing there and I you know because there are more guys and women so he has to kind of rotate there's out. guys trying to pick up there too and it's creepy they really what and he said you know, it's this, Silicon Valley this, well this guy has probably been to a thousand dance lessons at Alberto's <laughs> and so he's trying to coach me and uh and by coaching I mean get me out of there so he can dance and get up on some <laughs> yeah and so I didn't realize once you're out of the circle you got to get back in um well <laughs> next time uh I'm uh I'm open to learning with all partners, and even if there are assholes there, hey, you know, there are assholes everywhere. Don't let that keep you from learning how to dance. Not me. I walked <laughs> right out of there. I said, I don't need this shit in my yeah. life. <laughs> but learn how to dance. And to all the Latinos, especially the non-Mexicanos who just were born knowing how to move, um, lucky you, but we're learning ourselves. So <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. So you're working on your dancing, you're lifting. And trying to mentor, yeah, for anybody that wherever level you're at, if you can mentor even one person who wants to be uh, where you're at, go where you're, you're going and have gone, you know, mentor one person. It, for many of us, it should be, myself included, um, little cousins, uh, nieces, nephews. Send them a text now. They're probably not going to pick up your phone call. Uh, if you have, <laughs> Yeah, Snapchat them uh, if you have it. But just text. Just be there. And, and meet them where they're at and, and mentor some folks. But I try to do that. But start with your family because there are things that you can share, all of us can share that, that'll help them. So. Cool. So where can people learn about the Stanford program? Can people follow you on Twitter or anything? Like, If, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I wish I were more fun or funnier on Twitter, but uh, <laughs> Twitter is T-I-Q, T-I-Q, Chapa, C-H-A-P-A, and 108. So T-I-Q, Chapa, 108 is the Twitter handle. Um, and I think for us, if you just look up Stanford Latino Entrepreneurs, you'll see our initiative. You can learn about us. Um, but for any business owner who's interested in learning more, you know, find me. Um, for any student or young professional who wants to grow, you know, look us up. Um, but let's, you know, we'll keep building all of us and excited to be a part of that. Cool, man. Thank you for stopping by. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Really guys. appreciate it. And um, this should be coming out in a few weeks. We really uh, are excited about bringing more folks like you so if you have any cool. suggestions too gotcha thank yeah. you guys thanks man